By the way, I attempted to make Earl Grey tea latte. (laughs) And I can already tell you that it's going to taste absolutely disgusting. Welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Honda. And welcome to episode 52. After recording today, Honda and I are going to marathon two episodes of Drag Race. And I'm very excited. I've been seeing like small posts about it here and there because I follow quite a few queens. And then they're like talking about, they're talking about Trinity. Like Bianca even made a post like, yeah, about Trinity. Yeah, that's why I texted you and I was like, Honda, we have to watch it soon because <laughs> Bianca Del Rio like spoiled something from episode four and I was like, I need to see this right now. <laughs> but Honda and I, we we like, we watch Drag Racer's new episode every week together. We have like a little Netflix party and we watch it. So I'm very excited. But Honda... I think the big question is, who do you think will win this season? I feel uh, like it's really hard. Like, from the first two episodes that we've watched, I feel like it's actually really difficult. I feel like it's still too early. But like, I feel like, what if it's Trinity? <laughs> right, what if it's Trinity? I feel like this is Trinity's redemption. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think Trinity will win. I feel like I know for sure Ginger Minge won't win. <laughs> I Minge, like Ginger Minge, but I don't I think she will win. Her outfits are not great. <laughs> you think it could be Eureka? I feel like... Maybe. I feel like Eureka, Eureka. Eureka is very strong. She um, is. She's definitely top three. And her runways are good also, so... Yeah, she's, a, she's, a, she's very well-rounded. Yeah. I feel like Raja and Akira might. Akira hasn't. Akira hasn't shined yet. I know, but my thing with Akira is, from watching her season, we know how good she is. I mean, she did make it to top four. Yeah, and she's a pageant queen, and like, she's one of the first ones to like really break that stereotype of like how pageant queens have to be so poised and like I guess like pretty that kind of thing like she really put herself out there especially Mm. towards the end of her season so I don't know I'm excited I can't wait for later (laughs) Maybe, maybe the older queens have a chance too yeah maybe the older queens have a chance I don't know I know for sure I know for sure Jen isn't going to win. <laughs> and that sounds so mean. Because I really like Jen. Like, Jen is the... How do I say this? She's, like, the unproblematic person. Like, she doesn't want to get into drama or anything. But, like, I genuinely don't think she's going to win. It's like how Bob say, like, the show is just out to, like, break her down mentally. Yeah, what, what did Bob say? A systematic, what, dismantling of her psyche or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I'm so sure that's what's happening. I really feel like Jen is only going to get, like, maybe maybe she'll get a win, but only probably the second half of the season. I feel personally like that's what's going to happen. I feel like we're going to see, like, a version two of, like, that her dead face again. 
Oh! <laughs> she can make another yeah. quote out of that. I mean, yeah. But like, I genuinely think that it will only be the second half of the season because the show needs drama, right? They're not going to give Jen like a win so early. They need to systematically break down her psyche. <laughs> Maybe she like win and then next episode she goes home. <laughs> oh, shit! Oh, that's them. Okay, all right. Um, oh my god, that was like, what is this? I thought it's a lizard tail. What the hell? Sorry, I'm everything is like a lizard tail. It, it's like, I think it's a piece of glue. Anyway, um, we shall just jump right into the story quickly because mm-hmm. I'm really excited for this story. And <laughs> yes, I feel like every week when I do up a story I like text Honda and I'm like hi Honda I'm super excited for this story <laughs> and it's like every week mm-hmm. so it's not even like a, a thing where the story is like extra special or like it's something like we've never done before because every week I'm like Honda I'm super excited for my story and Honda's like okay <laughs> okay she'll <laughs> see Yes, but on that note, today's story is really, I think, we've never done a story like this before. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we've never done a story like this before. So anyway, so recently, I started listening to this true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's called That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. And okay. like, here's the thing. So... Um, the format of this podcast is the hosts will recap an episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Then they will talk about the crime that's based on the episode. And then afterwards, I mean, they'll talk about the crime that the episode is based upon. Like the crime, the crime is not based upon the episode. No, no one's going out there watching SVU and then committing similar crimes. And then after that, they have like an interview with a cast member. And um, I was listening to one of the episodes and I was like, wow, like the the, the true crime was, I don't know, I, I it just really struck me, like something about it like really hit me. So I was like, okay, mm. how needs to do our oh. own rendition of this story? Mm-hmm. So here we go. Um, so one of the episodes is actually based upon today's story. And today's story is the story of Yvette Cade. Honda, have you heard of her? Nope. Okay. Because, um, okay, I can't really, like, strongly say that her story was, like, so sensationalized. Because I feel like um, her kind of stories happen quite often. Like, sadly, it happens quite often. Oh, let's just jump right into it. I don't know why I'm out of breath. I get so excited. And then I'm just like... I forget to breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On the morning of October 10th, 2005, 31-year-old Yvette Cade was working at T-Mobile. It was a regular day for her as far as she was concerned. She was bright, friendly. She spoke to her customers and everything seemed fine. That is until a man walks into the store. The man in question was Roger Hargraves. Roger was Yvette's ex-husband. So they'd been married for five years and then recently they separated. 
Roger had actually left their marriage, leaving Yvette a single mother to her 12-year-old daughter. So Roger walks in and Yvette is confused and alert because he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be anywhere near her, actually. He's carrying a can of Sprite in his hand. So at first, Yvette looks at the can of Sprite and she's like, okay, Roger loves Sprite. So it's nothing. There's no warning bells that's going off. That is until he began to pour the contents of the can on her. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. And inside the can wasn't Sprite. It was gasoline. So Yvette oh. actually says in an interview with um, CNN, um, she, she says that she didn't even register at that point of time that it was gasoline. She just knew he was pouring something on her. So she immediately, like, she runs. She runs for the exit because I guess the thing, like, th- I feel like this just encapsulates Yvette as a person. She runs for the exit because she doesn't want to cause a scene at work. And she doesn't want to alert and cause, like, chaos with the customers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she runs for the exit and uh, Roger follows after her. So he chases her into the parking lot and then he steps on her foot and crushes all the bones in it. So what he steps hell? on her foot to trip her and to prevent her from running further and escaping from him. Then he lights a match and throws it at her while saying, I love you. Oh God. Oh, okay, that type. So within seconds, you bet is engulfed in 1,500-degree oh, flames. How do you even survive that? <laughs> I know. And I think that's what makes the story so special and so powerful is the fact that Yvette survives this. Spoilers. She survives. I mean, and... you said just now that she said she didn't register it at first. Yeah, I know. That wasn't was in my notes, actually. I was going to keep it for later. But I think, I think it's important to... Mentioned like right now that Yvette actually survives this attack. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now I'm going to jump right, right, right to the beginning. So when <laughs> uh, Roger and Yvette first met. So Yvette Cade met Roger Hargraves through her aunt. At that time, she was a single mother and had just come out of a previous abusive relationship. So to her, Roger Hargraves was the dream man. So Yvette described him as like a very smiley person. He had a great personality. He was charming. And on top of that, Roger himself had a son from a previous relationship. So Mm -hmm. his former wife, um, she's described to be like a holiday mom. So she wasn't really (laughs) in the picture. So for them, it, it really felt like the stars were aligning because like how often do you bump into somebody who has quite a similar story to you. So that's essentially what sort of like drew them together. But it's quite funny because um, Yvette actually didn't really like him at first. She found him to be very nerdy. Oh, nerdy? <laughs> yeah, I was reading the interview and she was like, yeah, I didn't really like him because he was, he was a nerd. And I was like, is that it? <laughs> I feel like everyone is like, after the hot version of the nerd these days in media. True. Yeah. yeah the nerd definitely. is no longer the nerd from like 10 years ago where they 
had like a weird haircut and like huge glasses and wore suspenders. Mm, that's like, like kind of hot. That's like Cole's brows in Riverdale. No, that's horrible. <laughs> They're like a bit edgy. Yeah, so she didn't really like him at first, but she found him to be very like, she found him to be very well-mannered. And so at the time she lived in Ohio while Roger lived in Maryland and they actually struck up a friendship by writing letters to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting for her because she felt that Roger was, like he was somebody who really listened to all her issues and complaints. And it was because of these things, as well as the fact that their stories were so similar that they, like she ended up falling for him and then they got married. Mm. But, she would soon realize um, after the marriage that the version of Roger that she had initially fell, fell in. Jimmy fell. Oh dear God. <laughs> Jimmy fell. Jimmy fell. So she soon realized that the version of Roger that she had fallen in love with before marriage was not the Roger after marriage. Mm. So Roger became very jealous and controlling. So he registered and bought Yvette a phone under his name. And um, it would, she would later say that this phone ended up becoming more like a tracking device. Mm-hmm. So if she went to meet family and whatnot, he would constantly call her to ask her where she was, who she was with. He would pick up the phone and he would look at the numbers that she had dialed or had called her. So this phone was a means to which he could track her and control her. Um, and then he would also verbally abuse her and like scream at her. He would fact shame her. He called her a beached whale, which uh, I honestly don't think is... I don't know. Has anyone seen a beached whale? Like you're not supposed to stand anywhere near uh-huh. them because all yeah. the gas build up can actually explode and explode. kill you. Yeah, I didn't know that until I read it recently and I was like, okay. I think I've seen oh a video God. of it actually exploding. Yeah, I've seen the video uh-huh. also and I was like, holy shit, you would die. Like you would just die if you were anywhere near that. So anyway, so he he like fat shamed her. Um, on top of that, like Yvette's aunt would say that whenever she called or like if anyone called, it would be like every time they called them, you could hear fighting going around in the background. So things just like nose dive for the both of them. Uh, but beyond just the verbal, emotional abuse, um, the abuse also became physical. So Roger would slap kick, punch, and stab Yvette. Um, Yvette would wear dark tinted sunglasses and long sleeve shirts to hide uh, her black eyes and the, the, the bruises all over her body. And Yvette's family actually realized that something was very wrong. So mm-hmm. they urged her to leave Roger. And finally, that happened. Uh, Roger he up and left Yvette and her daughter. So after which Yvette went to file a protective order against him in July of 2005. 
because she feared that he would become violent and come after her. Mm-hmm. But as you know, in cases like these, just filing a protective order, um, like it's it's not it's not a one stop solution. It's Things not. can still happen. So Roger actually began to stalk Yvette. He would constantly call her. He would follow her around. He began to keep tabs on her daily routine. And despite all this, despite all this um, harassment, I'm going to call it harassment. I feel like it is a form of harassment, right? It is, definitely. Yeah, so despite all this, Yvette was actually very determined to move on and stabilize herself. So she worked really, really hard at her job at T-Mobile and was eventually able to afford a condo with, um, like, for her and her daughter. Mm. And I don't know about US prices for condos, but in Singapore, it's really a species. <laughs> it's so expensive. This actually pissed Roger off a lot, seeing that Yvette was <laughs> completely fine, she was successful, she was happy without him. So obviously, what do you think Roger wanted? Destroy everything. If I can't have you, no one will. Yeah, essentially something like that. He he wanted her back. Because she was she was doing well for herself. So obviously he's like, I need her back in my life. So a month after Yvette filed a protective order against Roger, he went to the district court judge. His name is Richard Palumbo. Palumbo. I've not to pronounce this man's name and I don't care because I have no respect for him and I hope that he has diarrhea every two minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm telling you, okay, I feel like in this story, you will hear about the scum of the earth and then the scum of the earth. <laughs> okay? Like, Roger Hargraves is scum of the earth, Right? But mm-hmm. Palumbo is the, the scum of the earth. Roger goes to Palumbo and he's like, hey, how about we overturn this protective order, right? Um, instead, we will go for marriage counselling. Lol. Yep, lol it is. Palumbo's like, sure. And he sets another hearing in September. And this next part is really, really hard. This is the part... When I was doing out my notes, I texted you and I said, this case is <laughs> pissing me off. You can be angry with me later. So Yvette finds out that um, her protect, uh, there's another hearing. Okay. And mm-hmm. she, know- she finds out that now Roger wants to do marriage counseling. So she goes on the date of the hearing, but it's only her that turns up. Roger isn't there. Okay. And she goes Bye. to Palumbo and she literally, she's literally begging him. She's telling him to extend the protection order against Roger and that, um, like, she tells him he's contacting my family, he's still contacting me, he's intimidating my daughter and he's vandalizing other people's property. And she says, I want an immediate, absolute divorce. And then this dipshit goes, <laughs> I'd like to be six foot five inches, but that's not what we do here. You have to go to divorce court for that. Well, he was like, not my problem. Goodbye. It gets worse, by the way. 
So Yvette then tells Palumbo that she's being forced into this counseling thing. She doesn't want to do it. She just wants to divorce. She wants she wants Roger like 10 light years away from her. Mm-hmm. And she even shows Palumbo like evidence of the abuse. So she actually started to take pictures of like her wounds every time um Roger hit her. So she mm-hmm. shows Palumbo the evidence, right? And Palumbo looks at it and then he goes, yeah, maybe it's not a bad idea if you want to save the marriage. Uh-huh. Like, go for go for the counselling. Like, it's not a bad idea if you want to save the marriage. And at this point, Yvette is like, okay, I don't want to save this marriage. <laughs> like, I want this marriage to end. And she doesn't even get to say that she doesn't want to save the marriage because this judge cuts her off and says, well, you're in the wrong place. Get a lawyer and go to divorce court. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just it's just so irritating because what Roger has done is already like a legal violation. He has violated the protection order mm-hmm. like the law has to step in at this point but this judge is essentially just dismissing Yvette like he cuts her off he dismisses her concerns he essentially just tells her why don't you just save the marriage when she shows him clear evidence of the abuse like for example you go into court and you say hey my husband's abusing me but there's no evidence right mm-hmm. I guess the judge can say, okay, there, there is some doubt here. Maybe, I guess, marriage counselling is an option. Evidence. And marriage counselling is not going to save a marriage like that. Nope. When it comes to the level of abuse, you, it shouldn't even be an option to save a marriage. You need to get out of the marriage. Mm. Because the other person clearly doesn't respect you enough and doesn't treat you as an actual person and it's so annoying (sighs) so this judge ends up overturning the protective order oh shit and then three weeks later at 2 30 a.m on october 10th 2005 yvette receives a call so exhausted both from the day and from essentially Roger's bullshit. She picks up the call and she says, Roger, I want you to leave me alone. I just freaking leave me alone. Roger says, I'm going to fry you like Crisco grease. Crisco grease? Yeah. What is that? Isn't Crisco like butter? Is it? I have no idea. It's not like butter. It's like... I don't know how to describe it. But I feel like I know what Chris Cote is. Yeah. So he says, I'm going to fry you like Crisco grease. And then several hours later, (laughs) he would turn up at her workplace and Um... set her on fire. She was entirely engulfed in flames. So Yvette was burnt on her right leg, her behind, her back, stomach, chest, both her arms and her face. Her lip 
melted into her chin. And she describes it as she could literally see her flesh dripping off her body and onto the floor. So Yvette suffered third degree burns on 63% of her body. Mm, It's quite fatal. Vague meaning? I mean, I said fatal. Oh yeah, okay. How do you say is it vague though? Vague. <laughs> Sorry, my hearing is so bad. Yeah, I think I think it's a real miracle that she survived it. Cause and uh, are they, I, I I don't know the mean like if it's like third degree or second degree or something like that. But like you know, when your skin is gone, it's supposed to protect your insides from like infections. And if it's sixty three percent, and then you're so you're really vulnerable to infections. Your body goes to the shock and whatever. It's really painful like, just thinking about it. I mean, at the moment when she's burning, like the like she wouldn't feel pain at that moment, but she would feel it afterwards. Yeah, because your nerves are entirely destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And just... the shock, the adrenaline comes in, so it like you don't feel it that moment. It's yeah. So horrible what happened to her. Like it was just a regular day at work for her somehow. And then oh what the shit. So while Yvette was on fire, she actually ran back into the T-Mobile store and she ran to a sink and she started to spray water on herself. What the um yeah. Then she says, um, that's when a passerby named Douglas, who was like at the bank across the parking lot. He saw what happened and like he he she says like he sprinted to his car, like he grabbed the towel that he had there and he like ran to put her out. And um she says that he knew CPR, so I think he administered CPR. And the thing is, all this while Yvette was conscious. Mm. Yeah. Um eventually she was airlifted to a hospital and in the helicopter, the paramedic asked um, are you still with me and she said yes I'm not going to let him steal my joy mm. as I said you bet <laughs> freaking amazing person like she's really like freaking amazing yeah. and then later on when she was in the hospital a nurse asked her um, like are you still with me and she said yes I'm going to be on Oprah Oprah spoiler she does end up on Oprah. <laughs> it's amazing because like one of the websites with the most information about this case is oprahwinfrey.com. Oh. Yeah, I guess the questions that Oprah would ask would be also quite in-depth. Yeah. But anyway, when I was to read the, about the case, um, it's on Oprah. Yvette would spend 92 days in hospital and would undergo 17 surgeries. Uh. Um, the doctors actually projected that she was um that she might have to do about 40 surgeries. Yeah. Due to the severity of her burns, she has restricted mobility in her arms and fingers. So she's not allowed to wear buttons or zippers. Oh no. Yeah. Her ears melted, like her ears are melted into her head, and she lost an earlobe. 
She had to wear a plastic face mask for 23 hours a day. She also had to wear pressure garments, which would keep her skin from becoming bumpy. And it's so interesting because on the Nancy Grace show on CNN, she actually like, she lets them feel her arm, by the way. Like she, she lets them feel like the bumpy parts and the flat parts. She explains like, oh, this pressure garment is meant to like essentially smoothen out the skin. Mm. Um, and she, she actually said while she was on the Nancy Grace show that um, she's supposed to wear the pressure garments, but she said it was just excruciatingly painful to remove and put back on. Mm. She also lost most of the sensation in her arm. So she actually let them touch her, by the way, and she she just describes it as like she can she can barely feel it. During the interview, she also described the healing process and she described it as being very itchy. Um, okay, personal story time. So when I was younger, um, <laughs> like very intelligent, high IQ child prodigy Christiane <laughs> decided to uh, place a hot iron on her arm. Child <laughs> prodigy indeed. Yeah, I have the scar, by the way. It's still here. Do you see this thing here? A bit, it's like terrible yeah. over the camera, but it's it's um it's a triangle-shaped scar. And um it was pretty badly burnt, I guess, since I still have a scar like 20 something <laughs> years later. 20 10 plus years later. I don't know how old I was when I did this to myself. But essentially, right, when all this burnt skin is healing it becomes so 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 unbearably itchy Mm -hmm. like this small patch of skin like I remember how itchy it was because over the bandage I would be like trying to scratch it and my grandmother or like my family members would literally have to come and stop me and be like hey don't do it and there was this one day it was at night Right, so I went to sleep, and it was so itchy that I scratched it. Mm-hmm. Right, and actually, a whole chunk of like Shit. skin came out. So, like, I have a scar, in a scar on my arm. <sighs> yeah, and this was just a small part of my body, right? But for Yvette, it was on sixty three percent of her mm. body, and she usually says she describes it like this. If you get a mosquito bite and it's raised up and you know how to scratch, 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 well, it's especially hard for me because the itching is internal. It's just not on the top layer of skin. So even if she wanted Uh, to release the itch, right, it's not, you can't scratch the top and then the itch is gone. It's, It's a deeper layer. So no matter how much you scratch, you will never, ever, ever get rid of the itch. So after the incident, she had to go for therapy and physiotherapy. So she went for therapy about three times a week and then she had to go for physio because like her body was just so burned. Like she had to regain mobility in mm-hmm. her hands and her fingers everywhere. Roger was eventually arrested and during his trial, his lawyer said, yeah. I know, he did all that. He threw gasoline <laughs> on her. He chased her. He like almost killed her, but he didn't want to kill her. He just wanted to 
burn her. What kind of defense is that? I didn't even try. <laughs> it's so funny because when I was reading it, I was like, who hired this person? Usually defense lawyers can get quite assholey when they're defending their clients. That means the job, so... Yeah, but like, this, is this guy even trying? Yeah, this authority was just like, yes, we we acknowledge everything he did. But he didn't want to kill her. He just wanted to burn her. Oh my god, if I was the cherry, I'd be like, I'll scream, not gu- um, guilty on all accounts. <laughs> not guilty. Oh my god. Yeah, I would be... I can imagine myself being in the jury and just rolling my eyes so hard. Oh my God. I don't think you would even be selected during jury selection because they're very... Like, both sides, they can choose which jury they want, right? To be in the final jury. So they'll actually see so. reactions and they will do, like, checks to see how you react to certain questions. So <laughs> they will, they'll probably screen you and they'll be like, oh no, this one will definitely not work. Okay, listen... I am very easily swayed. So, <laughs> I will be the worst person on the jury. Like, the guiltiest person can be there and they'll be like, I didn't mean to do it. And I'll be like, yeah, they didn't mean to do it. Oh my God. The evidence is wrong. Okay, no, not like that. But yeah, I'm easily swayed. You should watch Trial by Media. It's like a documentary. Oh. And, yeah, and there was this one, this like different episodes, different cases. And mm-hmm. it just shows how sensationalized some cases get mm-hmm. and how it affects the case. And then there was this one lawyer and he's so good. He's the defense lawyer. So he's wow. the ad. But like he, he comes off as so nice, you know, like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And he's he kept... Because essentially when you understand as a lawyer, you're just a storyteller, right? Yes. Especially if there's a jury. So mm-hmm. the jury would like the story that's told best. And he tells yes. the story so well. And oh, it's wow. very engaging. So, and yeah, there was like a small twist in the end, which is like very in- interesting. But mm. yeah, it's just that the episode was so good. And I'm pre- you're, you're pre- you'll probably be like, yes, I believe this man. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god Also have I ever told you That my dad Wanted me to become a, Like he wanted me To become a lawyer Yeah I disappointed him By becoming a lit major And he never lets me Forget it <laughs> Occasionally During lunch He'll be like It would have been nice If Christy did law And I'll be like <laughs> I have a podcast And I talk about law There I guess uh, It's not too no, late speaking, but speaking of juries Right um, it sort of reminded me of the documentary, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. Uh-huh. Not the Hernandez one, since Gabriel Fernandez, the child abuse case. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember when it came down to the jury to deliberate, um, the entire jury wanted to uh, give a manslaughter charge. Right? Mm-hmm. Except this one guy. This one Asian dude. I swear I wanted to bring his neck. But the thing is, he was the only rational one there. Everyone uh, else, you could tell they were so swayed by emotion because of like how terrible that case was. And this one guy, he comes in and he's like, listen, 
there is no evidence to prove that this is premeditated murder. And I was like, I hate this man. That one spoil market Asian. (laughs) Yeah, but it was the only one who made sense though because there was no evidence to, there's actually no evidence to prove that it was premeditated. Yeah, I think I watched that documentary too. I think I remember something of that happening. I was like, what the shit? Oh my God. But anyway, going back to this case. So the, the lawyer is like, he he tells the jury, yeah, this guy did all the shitty things, <laughs> but he didn't want to kill her. He just wanted to burn her. And the jury's like, okay, understandable. No, no, they don't say understandable. They're like, okay, F you. We don't care. <laughs> so after two days of deliberation, uh, Roger Hargraves was charged with first and second degree attempted murder and first degree assault and was given life in prison. Yay. Hooray. Here's, here's the funny thing. I remember when I was listening to the um That's Messed Up podcast and they mentioned this and like I was like smiling on the train like a, like a dumbass. But this was also in one of the um articles that I was, that I used for the research. And essentially, as Roger was being escorted out of the courtroom, mm-hmm. two women who were like on Yvette's side of the case, they yelled bye at him. Oh my God. <laughs> I freaking... Listen, I love women. Like, we are so good. Like, holy shit. Holy shit. Um, okay. So the thing is, right? Two days before the trial, Roger attempted to call Yvette. Like the audacity, the gall, the gumption. (laughs) Can they even do that? Who? Can they even like contact the other side? He tried. He tried calling from prison. Hello. Yeah. But Yvette, she didn't want to pick it up. And she actually says, okay, 10.47 at night, I get a collect call from a correctional institute. I couldn't believe it. What would he have to say to me? I was supposed right. to be dead. Yeah, precisely. What more can you say? In the most Singaporean way, right? Sorry, no cure. <laughs> Never heard For that real. phrase, no. <laughs> yeah, this guy can try to apologize, but what's he going to do? Undo the incident? No. Is he? Is he going to like, you know, can she transfer her wounds to him instead? Precisely. He can go to jail. He doesn't have to live with a disfigured body mm-hmm. that was caused by someone else. He doesn't have to live with the trauma of this happening. He doesn't have to live with the pain. He doesn't have to live with the knowledge that he has to go to therapy like three times a week. Or go to physiotherapy because your fingers don't work and you can't even do something like button a shirt. Mm. You don't have to stay in pain. So like, why bother giving a call? But I think this is just one way of trying to assert control in her life. Mm. Like even until the end, he wants to reach out to her and I guess in a way still control her. Because imagine if she did pick up that call. Yeah. It's just... Ugh. This shit. Scums of the earth. 
eventually the divorce was finalized um, in 2006 in the month of April. Yvette now goes around educating and speaking about domestic violence, sharing her story, and she says in hopes to shine a light to help others. She emphasizes the importance of opening up to family and not just holding it all mm-hmm. in. She also brought up an important point, which I'm going to say right now, and that is other men have to disapprove of such behavior. Mm. And I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say that this also applies to women. When you know somebody who is doing like toxic shit or being Mm -hmm. mildly abusive, I think we have to call them out on it. Yeah. And I mean like we... Abuse can be so subtle. Yeah, we don't like know the what controlling, happens behind The controlling doors. thing is really like the subtlest way of doing it. But I feel like as people, if you know, if you notice our friends, like their partners or whatever, like they do things like this, I think we should bring it up. Yeah. Sensitively, of course, not like reprimand them and be like, hey, you need to get out of this relationship. Because we also don't know the context, but I think it's important to disapprove of such behaviors. And I think it's most important in Asian societies, particularly because like, like hitting your spouse, particularly husbands hitting wives, is still quite normalized in society. And particularly for men, I think it's important for other men to disapprove of such behaviors. Mm. So it's no more like turning a blind eye to it. Because that has happened for so long, for centuries. Here are some warning signs your partner might be abusive. So controlling your activities, demanding your permission to go places or meet others. Uh, Calling, texting, tracking you to find out where you are and who you are with, limiting your finances, mm-hmm. and showing jealous behaviors and accusing you of having affairs. So there's a whole lot more, but these are just some warning signs. Mm-hmm. Singapore also has a 24-hour domestic violence hotline. So the hotline is one 800 777 Aware Singapore also has a lot of helpful resources. Um, If you are in an abusive situation, we hope you find the strength to seek help, no matter how difficult it is. And it is very difficult because often abusers manipulate the situation in which the abused feels like they have nowhere else to go and they can only rely on the abuser. And that they're in the wrong. And that they're in the wrong. And like that's one of the classic symptoms of an abused person. Like the lack of self-esteem, they're con- constantly doubting themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the abusers break down their confidence. So, you know, yeah. in the end, they have, feel like they're wrong. Even if they tell someone, like, you know, like, yeah, they, they don't feel like they should tell someone. So. Yeah, and particularly in Asian societies, one, this kind of behavior is so normalized. The second <laughs> one is... um. I think it's a feeling of you're so desperate to keep the relationship together. 
Mm. And this isn't just like applying to like marriages. It's like the I, I guess the 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 ideals of a family is so strong in Asian societies that even mm. if like your boyfriend or your fiance or your husband does this or like your wife, your fiance, your girlfriend does it, like it's a desperation to like uphold the family unit. Mm. Yeah, but it's important that um you try to look beyond this at the end of the day it's this is the most difficult part but at the end of the day you have to protect yourself mm. and it's so easy for us to say it right <laughs> but if you're in that situation we understand yeah. that it's very very difficult which is why if you know somebody who's in an abusive situation right as a mm-hmm. person i think you have to try to step in as sensitively as possible. Like, the key word here is sensitively. <laughs> because abuse situations is very, very, very tricky. Yeah. It's important yeah. to have, like, a good support system as well. Because, I guess, once you get married and you have a household, you know, you start to lose connections yeah. with your, your circle of and friends. abusers also tend to isolate. Yeah, yeah. The, their partners from their friends and stuff so yeah um, when it goes to this story at the end of the day Yvette Kate is a survivor and the unfortunate reality is she is really one of the few people that survives because mm-hmm. six <laughs> women are murdered by men every hour around the world and she's mentally strong to even recover from what happened. Yeah, and she actually says that while she was literally being burned alive, she set her mind very strongly on she wants to advocate for this. Like, even in that moment, she was like, I want to help other people mm. get through situations like this. Uh, but yes, six women are murdered by men every hour around the world. Most by their partners or family members. The UN is literally calling it a femicide. And as I mentioned, this kind of abuse is very normalized in Asian societies. And I think it's about time we we roll it back and we denormalize. What's the word for it? Denormalize. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we we have to get rid of this normal everyday idea that it's okay like it kind of annoys me that in like Asian media like your soap operas right and this is not just in like Tamil dramas it's also <laughs> in like Chinese and Malay ones the husbands and wives are like slapping each other I'm like <laughs> no that's that's straight up abuse my dear don't do that Mm-hmm. But yes, this is the story of Yvette Kate. It's a good story. And for once, the victim survives. Yes. It's. Uh, we cover so many crimes where, like, the victims die, and it's just. It's such an unfortunate reality. Yeah. Yeah. Also, not once have I drunk this old grey tea. Should I give it a try now? Yes. I'm so nervous. It's probably like cold. It is. Mm. Mm. 
I literally pull a kombucha go every time I drink something new. Oh my god, you should, you should. No, we are recording this, right? So you should. <laughs> it's like meme yourself. It's like not bad, but it's also like. I think because it's Earl Grey with rose and lavender. Rose? Oh. oh. Yeah. Grey, rose and lavender. You yeah. really like that kind of flower shit in your drink. It was that scoop. So I just got it. I scooped it up and scooped it. Like the two previous times I met you recently, like rose <laughs> latte. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it was good though. I don't like the aftertaste. It's good. Okay, you know what? Forget it. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Remember, the 24-hour domestic violence hotline is one 800 777